This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Have you ever felt like you communicated authentically? You know, maybe you're speaking to somebody or you're speaking at something or you're given a presentation or a performance. And as you're going through it, you feel like what's coming out of your mouth is really coming from your heart, right? This is called finding your voice and the feeling of finding your voice is one of the greatest feelings that we can have. My next guest, Michael Port, is an expert at helping people find their voice, helping them perform and act authentically. And he shows just how finding your voice could increase the success in your business and in your life. You're going to love this. Delving into current events. To uncover relevant wisdom. Uncover relevant wisdom. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. We've got an amazing guest today. You're going to love him. Michael Port's with me. Michael Port, who is called a marketing guru by Wall Street Journal. He is a top-rated speaker who has lectured, trained, inspired, and provided coaching and consulting services to over 20,000 business owners in the last two years alone. He's unbelievable. I've actually had the opportunity to share a stage with him once, and I was blown away by him. He has five New York Times bestsellers. He was a former actor appearing on TV and film projects like Third Watch, All My Children, Guiding Light, The Pelican Brief, Last Call, and The Believer. He has a wide respecting coaching program for small business owners. Um, and what I love about him the most is that he has a vision that he wants people to think big. He has taken on the road. He's got... Uh, that's his passion. And when you hear him speak, you can almost see it coming through. And he's got a new book out, which we're going to talk about today on the show uh, called Steal the Show. That's just coming out now. Uh, Michael, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. It's great to be here. So this is a book that, I mean, I love that Steal the Show. And what I liked about this book, it's, it's, it looks like it's about public speaking, which it is. But it's really more about, I think, about life, how to live life, um, how to be great, how to change your mindset. It sure is. How did you how did you get to writing this book? What got you to say, I want to write a book about public speaking through your vision? Mm. So as you mentioned, my first career was as an actor and I had a modicum of success, but the business wasn't for me. You have to wait around for other people to give you work and that doesn't really fit my personality. So I went into business and what I discovered was that the skills that I had learned uh, specifically in the graduate acting program at NYU, where I got my master's. And then on the job working professionally were the things that helped me excel as an entrepreneur. The performance side of life 
is so incredibly important. The ability to perform because think about it. I, our, our quality of life, our quality of life is in large part determined by how well we perform during life's high stakes situations. And if we fold, if we crumble when the spotlight's on us, you know, we're going to play a small game. But if we can shine when the spotlight is on us, when the eyeballs are focused on us, well, that's when we get to play a really, really big game. And these high stakes situations occur every single day. And so we're all performing in one way, shape or form, whether we realize it or not. What I want to help people do is recognize how they can be better performers in an authentic way based on who they are so that they can adopt different styles of behavior, different ways of being and feel comfortable in lots of different groups, lots of different social circles and understand how to integrate into these different groups and social circles so that they are not only welcomed, but they are an integral part of those different groups. So you mentioned something when you just said this, I was actually taking notes, which is great, which is to be better performance in an authentic way. And when I hear you say that, my first reaction is performance seems to conflict with being authentic, right? Authentic is this is who I am. This is I talk. I'm just schmoozing. We're hanging out. I say whatever's in my mind. And performance is more like I've prepared, I'm on, um, I'm saying maybe what, what was scripted or what I've said multiple times. How does one balance being authentic and also performing? The greatest performers in the world are the most authentic performers in the world and often the most authentic people. So if you look at some of the performers that are considered the best in our world, you think about people like Tom Hanks or Meryl Streep. And when you think about their performances and ask yourself, well, why do I resonate with them so much? I mean, Tom Hanks kind of plays Tom Hanks in all his movies. It's not like he's this character actor that, you know, that you don't recognize in each performance. He's Tom Hanks. But why do you, why do you resonate with so much? Usually it's because he's so honest as a performer. You believe him. And here's the thing. What people don't realize is that he's not pretending when he's performing he actually is feeling what you think he's feeling. He may be wearing a costume. He may be imagining that he is a soldier in World War II, but everything that he's experiencing is real. And if we, we, if we, if we live this life where we have one perspective and we are so quote unquote true to self that it alienates others, that it holds us back from doing the bigger things that we want to do, well, then that's not particularly productive. But if you have a sales meeting, of course you prepare. Of course you figure out exactly how you're going to pitch your product. That is a performance, but you do it honestly. You do it authentically. And if you're really well prepared, then you can be in the moment and the entire experience is authentic. Because a lot of the things we do in life, we do over and over and over and over again. And so eventually you memorize your pitch. You know what you're going to do when you go in and talk about whatever product you're selling. And so how can we keep that fresh? How can we keep it unique? How can we in the moment improvise so that we are connected to the people that we're trying to serve? Because 
because performance is not just about wowing an audience. It's about connecting with an individual, one person at a time. And you do not have to be an entertainer to be a performer. Hmm. I think that's an important distinction. Yeah. I mean, I think that's an excellent distinction that I think most people don't fully appreciate the, and I love what you said about actors because that's right. The, the actors that I'm thinking in my mind that I resonate the most with are the actors that when what they're doing and saying on screen, I feel is real. Yes. Um, th- but this concept of connecting with an individual, even if there's a hundred individuals in the audience, mm-hmm. um, you have a piece in your book that I'd love to delve in on based on this point. And I, and I read it the first time I, I read it again, which was that the idea of finding your voice, mm-hmm. meaning we think that for people to listen to us, we have to different. The words, the ideas need to be innovative. We need to blow people away, mm-hmm. which is a good trait to blow mm-hmm. people away, but blow people away with the content. Mm-hmm. And what I, I thought I got out of your, the beginning of your book, and I'd like for you to elaborate on this, is you're saying not, not necessarily. Everyone has a voice. Mm-hmm. And when you can connect to the voice, even if the words are similar to someone else's, they're connecting to your voice, to you. That's right. Is that right? That's exactly right. You don't have to be different to make a difference. This is critical. You don't have to be different to make a difference. We often try hard to distinguish ourselves by adding layers of persona that we think will be distinctive. And sometimes these layers of persona are added over the course of a lifetime because, of, because other people want to see those layers on you. Sometimes they're added for protection. Well, I'll behave this way. I'll, I'll create this persona so that I'm not hurt or rejected or laughed at. But will you find your voice, not necessarily by going out in search of some other thing outside of yourself. You find your voice by stripping away these fat layers of persona that often protect you from actually expressing yourself fully because great performances are developed in one from the inside out. So, you know, we're not performing, you know, by learning body language tricks or elocution tips. You know, this is, this is not what it's about. It's about realizing a huge underserved and unexplored area of your creative potential in order to become more successful, both personally and professionally. And, and first, you find your voice and the strength to use it because we all have the ability to create our reality and express our reality. And one of the, one of the, one of the, one of the concepts that really drove me to write this book is, is a concept that I, that I read from Lee Strasberg and Lee Strasberg was one of the greatest acting teachers of all time. And he said that the actor's job is to consistently create reality and then express that reality. And isn't that how life works? Every day, we make choices about what we want to achieve. And those choices, they form a narrative that tells the story of our life. And then we have choices about how we're going to express ourselves to meet those aspirations. So, you will find your voice through self-expression as long as your focus is on self-understanding. Because the best performers understand themselves very well. So that's a that's a great let's 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 delve there a little bit because that's a great concept. Because I as 
you know, it's funny as you're saying being authentic, finding your voice. I'm thinking like my kids are so authentic, mm-hmm. right? My little ones, my mm-hmm. five-year-old son is, I mean, he is who he is. He cries when he's upset. He, he expresses himself 24 seven. This is what he does. This is what little kids do. They're just, they're just them. Um, and then as we get older, I think what happens is people tell us along the way, no, don't say that or don't do that. Or you surely be that, or that's what people want to hear. When you walk in, you got to act like that. And I think as you become an adult, what happens is you are being conditioned to stop being you. And, and what you said a minute ago was resonated with me in that you don't have to try to be you, right? You are you. you authentic means removing layers. It's not, it doesn't mean changing anything. You, you have what you have, mm-hmm. but as we become adults, we stop trying to be us. Yeah. And, and, and how do you, how do you change that? It, it becomes a lie. It, essentially we end up living a lie and, and it might be small. You might not think, well, it's not a real lie. I'm not making something up. Yeah, you are. If you are not honest and that, and, and you know, the most, m- the most commonly missing element from pre- any presentations or sales meetings or any kind of performers is the, is the performer's true voice. This is a speaker's true voice. And sometimes finding your true voice is, le- is about letting go of your inner critic because there are two, two types of critics. There's the inner critic, the internal critic, and then the external critic. And the external critic is the, you know, the person in the cheap seats, you know, the person who likes to push others down to lift themselves up. And then there are the voices of judgment in your head. And one of the reasons that you, that you water yourself down over time is because you've got these voices of judgment telling you you're not enough, you're not good enough. You don't know enough. Uh, who are you to say that? It's already been said before, et cetera. And our job in part, and I address this in the book, is to crush our fears and silence the critics. And in order to silence the external critics, we need to first focus on silen- silencing critics in our own head. Because if the critics in our own head are loud, the voices of judgment externally get even louder. But when right. you don't have a lot of voices of judgment inside your head, you don't really hear those external critics on the outside. And and the way to do that, you're saying, begins with self-understanding. It, it sure begins does. by getting to know who you are. Mm-hmm. And there are people out there in the world, and I think that will enjoy this concept that you're bringing to them, that I don't think have really thought about it. Like, I'm sure there are dozens of uh, thousands, millions of people that was never really stopped for years mm-hmm. to sort of ask themselves, who am I? What do I stand for? Mm-hmm. Why is that? Mean. Why do you think that is? Well, there may be a number of different reasons for, for different people, but I think a lot of it is protection, safety. But here's what happens. This is the performer's paradox. This is what I call it. On one hand, you've got this intention to really go out in the world and do big things. And on the other hand, you have this intention not to mess up, you know, not to, not to get rejected, make sure nobody laughs at you uh, or thinks your ideas are, are weird. Well, those two intentions, they cancel each other out. So you don't go anywhere. You stay exactly where you are because if you, if your fear is equal to or greater than your desire, well, then you don't get very far. So this paradox of performance is, is very common. It, it may even be universal. And so what happens is you turn your attention inward and you feed your anxiety about performing. And then what happens is when it comes to high stakes business performance, you might fear that you'll be found out 
for not having what it takes, or maybe even being a, a fraud in a suit. And when I say fraud, I don't mean a liar. I don't mean a cheat. I don't mean a criminal. I mean, you may not know something that they think you're supposed to know. Maybe they'll think that you're not really the confident expert leader that, that you're presenting yourself as. So the question is, what's more important, approval or results? This is a fundamental question that I continue to propose. What's more important, results or approval? Because we may quickly go say results. But if we're honest about it, we look at our actions over the course of our life. What did we do to get approval? And what did we do specifically for results? And I am encouraging folks to let go of the need for approval in order to free their own voice, find a sense of self-esteem and self-possession as a performer so they can get results. And that's really what we're working toward. Dr. Nathaniel Brandon, he's a psychotherapist. He said that self-esteem is the disposition to experience oneself as being competent to cope with the basic challenges of life and being worthy of happiness. So it consists of two components, self-efficacy, confidence in one's ability to think, to learn, to choose, and make appropriate decisions, and then self-respect, confidence that love and friendship, achievement, success, happiness are all natural and appropriate. And in order to be a performer, you need self-efficacy, confidence in your ability to think on your feet, to learn, to choose, to make the right choices. And then, of course, self-respect. What's interesting, I noticed that based on what you're saying here, this voice, you know, I heard you, you speak once and you had a line that I love, which you said that um, the voices in your head, just because they're loud, it doesn't mean that they're right. Yeah, that's exactly that right. Everybody has those voices that say to them, you're not enough. You're an imposter. They're going to find you out. They're going to ask that question. Why, why are you the one that should be telling us what to do? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you silence those voices? There was a woman named Lori who was a CPA and she came to one of my public speaking events in 2013. And many people come there because they want to learn to speak better on stage or at a sales meeting or, you know, in a conference room. But Lori came because she said specifically in her intake form that she wanted to find her voice. That's why she came. She said, I have no desire to be a public speaker. I have no desire to speak in front of others. I am a CPA, but I want to find my voice. And then really what you know, that meant to me is that she wanted more confidence. There was something about the way she saw herself uh, that was small. And when she went up to do her presentation and then uh, have me work with her on it, that's how we work in a lot of these masterclass workshops. She had cards, little note cards, and she was attempting to read them and she was shaky and you could barely hear her. And it was all very packed. You know, she was giving this little talk about importance of balancing your books, et cetera. Everyone has to come in with some sort of talk. So I, I snuck up on her and I took the cards away. Wow. And she muttered a curse word under her breath. And I was both delighted and shocked because I did not expect that to come from her. And I asked her, I said, what is the real story? I mean, what's your story? What's your backstory? And she said, after a long pause, She said, you know, most of my life, I felt that my voice wasn't worthy of the moment. 
Because when I was a little kid, I used to talk a lot. And one day, my mother said, no one wants to hear from you. And she slapped me across the face. And ever since then, she said, I, I haven't been willing to speak up. And I really want to find my voice. Now, the whole room was in tears. Of a room full of professional speakers, she was the only person who brought tears to the eyes of the people in the room. And she overcame her fear of public speaking and found her voice by being willing to free her past for a future where she's much more confident, more commanding, and more committed to thinking and doing big things. That, that's such a great story. And, and as you're telling the story and I'm like in my head trying to predict it like everything else, mm -hmm. um, I had no idea it was going there. And what really resonated with me just now is the idea of vulnerability. And I've seen this with great speakers. Um, I've seen this with, I, I'm assuming, great actors, mm -hmm. um, although I don't have that experience that you have. And I've seen this with just great people, great leaders, great mm -hmm. business leaders, mm -hmm. great politicians, is that they are vulnerable. They're okay getting up and saying, I was wrong. Mm -hmm. They're okay getting up and saying, I think this is, they're, they're strong, they're bold, mm -hmm. they, they inspire confidence, but there's a certain allowance that they give themselves to be vulnerable in public. Mm -hmm. And we assume that when we're vulnerable, people are going to think less of us, but it's actually the opposite. I think people think more. Is that the key? Is that the, is that the gate? Is that the ticket? You know, your one's ability to just stop worrying about being vulnerable in public gives them the permission to be a human. Mm -hmm. And that humanity is what connects people. It very often is the case. And to be exposed when you perform is often where your true strength lies. See, negativity is what makes you weak. Being a devil's advocate, that's what makes you weak. If someone is in an interview with me to work for my company and they say they're the devil's advocate, they like to be the devil's advocate, the meeting is done immediately. I want people who say, yes, I'm going to figure out a way to make this work. I'm not going to poke holes. And generally, when we are not willing to take risks, we poke holes as opposed to finding solutions. And if you're not willing to take risks, it's because you're often not willing to expose yourself. And as I said, you know, to be open when you perform is where your true strength lies. So generosity and love is what makes your voice strong. So finding and sharing your voice is about creating something new. It's not simply revolting or rebelling against something in the past. That That's an adolescent type of behavior. It's about taking what exists and creating something better for the future. And the performer needs to break the rules, not break the rules just to break the rules, you know, to be rebellious, but to create something new, something that works better than currently exists, maybe to delight and, and even to inspire people because anyone can tear something down. Question right. is, can you build something better in its place? So you build on who you are, what you stand for, what you already do. And and it is realistic and practical for you to do big things. And you got to trust that there are certain people that you're meant to serve. And in order to do so, you got to be fully self-expressed. 
Let me let, let me just jump on what you just said on standing out and standing for something. And I heard you speak about this before and I loved it. And then I saw it in the book in a little bit of a different way. And I want to sort of draw that connection. You mentioned once um, that in order to stand out, you got to stand for something. Mm-hmm. Um, in the book, you have a piece in the performance. The first piece when you get to performance is this clear objective. Find out your why. Is that the how important is it for somebody to not just jump in and do, but to find the why, why am I getting up? Why am I making the pitch? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Right. What do I stand for? Yeah. What, what do I stand for is what's my why exactly. do you find that when you see people excel in performance, mm-hmm. you can really trace it in a way down to whether or not they're clear on their objectives, they have their why or whether or not they don't. Absolutely. This is why, in part, I based the methodology in the book on the skills that an actor develops. I'm not teaching people to be an actor. Let me be really clear about that. I'm I'm teaching non-performers how to excel during these high-stakes everyday situations. The second part of the book are six performance principles. And the the first principle is having a very clear objective. Now, why do I address this? Because there's lots of people who've talked about goals. Uh, I don't need to rehash goals. But an objective as a performer is slightly different. Because, and I'll use the actor as the example, and then I'll apply it to everyday life. When an actor is trying to develop a character in play or a film, what they do first is try to identify what the character wants. What am I trying to get from the other characters in this play. And that's really how life is, isn't it? When you meet somebody, what do I want to make happen? Now you might say, well, you shouldn't just meet people and say, what do I want to get? Of course you should. I want to make friends with this person. I like them. I want to go on a date with this person. I want to help this person achieve their dreams. I want to help this person get fed because they're living on the streets. These are all our objectives. We get up every single day and have an agenda. That is the way life works. And you can have a great agenda that is, uh, supports, you know, your, uh, you know, stands in the service of others as you stand in the service of your destiny, or you can have an agenda that is just all about you. I, I would, I would, you know, suggest we choose the former, but either way, you're, making choices all day long and everything you choose says something about who you are. Everything you do, everything you say says something about who you are. So what the actor does is they identify what do I want to achieve? Then they look at why. Because the why is the motivation. I'm sure people have, uh, who aren't actors have heard that, you know, they, that actors always say, my, my, uh, what's my motivation in this scene? That's, a, you know, one of the things that you, you probably have heard uh, that actors, uh, the cliche that actors might ask. Um, and that's, that's true because if you don't know why you're going after something, you're not going to go after it with much intention. And so the, the performances that are exciting to watch are the ones where the performer has such a strong why they will try every tactic they possibly can to get what they want. That's compelling to watch. It actually, you know, it often creates a lot of tension in a play or a film and that's, what's exciting to watch. Life is filled with tension. You can look at tension as good or bad. You know, there's, there've been another number of studies about stress because people often make this assumption that stress 
is bad for your health. But in fact, stress is, can be relatively neutral. It's how you see stress that makes a difference. So for example, if somebody is very stressed before they have to give a speech, they're very anxious, they, they have a lot of stage fright, uh, they may think, um, this is going to be terrible. I'm going to ruin this. I'm so nervous. I'm not going to be able to do it. Well, then what happens? They have trouble. But I get nervous and anxious before I give a speech. I have lots of extra energy. Uh, and what do I do with it? I say, this is great. I'm, I'm loving this feeling. I'm going to use this feeling. I'm going to take it onto the stage and I'm going to make a difference in the lives of the people in that room. So the way that I'm looking at that stress is different. And you would say, well, Michael, you like performing. It's different. I, in every situation, promoting a book is stressful. It's very, very time consuming. You've got to get a lot of people to say yes. You don't know how it's going to go. There's a lot riding on it. Your publishers have a lot of money in it. Your agent has a lot of, you know, invested in it. Your family, there's a lot. So the stakes are high, but I could take the stress and I could fold or I could take the stress and say, you know, I'm going to do something with this. So the actor has an objective. They get really clear on their motivation, which is the why. And then they try every tactic they possibly can to go and get it. So if you're, you know, trying to get love from your brother, well, you try to get love from him by doing something really nice for him. Well, it doesn't work. So you try another tactic. You try to get love from him uh, by uh, introducing him to somebody that, you, you know, you, you find all these different tactics. What are you going to do? And that's what you do uh, as an actor. And I think we do the same thing as a person. Uh, and, and the why is what's going to drive us. And the bigger your why is, the higher the stakes will be. And that's another one of the performance performance principles in part two is to raise the stakes because if stakes are low, not much happens. If you raise the stakes, then a lot happens. Well, let's jump in. Before we get to that, I want to just yeah. sort of nail this why thing because you're right. Stakes are really the key to the big risks. But isn't it, as I'm hearing you speak, isn't finding the why very similar to being vulnerable, right? Isn't what we're really after is getting down to this basic core humanity where I am and, and, and I'm connected to you in, in, in a basic sort of whether it's spiritual, however you want to say it, a universal mm -hmm. connection. And mm -hmm. as humans, if I can just break that down, you know, we're going to connect. I remember seeing a commercial once. Uh, but I think it was values.com or, and they had a guy who, a biker, a, a biker guy who got off a bike and his bike was, uh, had broken down and he was really mad, tattoos up and down his arm, really tough looking guy. And he was, he walked into a payphone, he didn't have a quarter and he was just banging the payphone and, and two older African-American women passed by and they said, excuse me, sir. And he was like, booth's taken, like screaming at them. And, and one lady goes, excuse me, sir. And he's screaming at her like booth's taken. And she reaches out and she put, gives him a quarter and says, are you looking for this? And he like broke down. He's like, oh, yes, yes. I'm, 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 oh, thank you so much. And in that moment, you saw when I can be human, I'm going to just cut through all of that facade, tough guy facade and let you know. In that big exterior is that big heart that we're human. And is what you're really saying, if I can just sort of characterize, at least for me, is that when you're performing, you got to take the script and you got to take the speech and you got to take the pitch and you got to do all that. But what you really got to do is get to a level where you have to stand in front of lots of people and be a human. And if you can reach that core, the crowd is going to connect to you on a deeper level and be with you. Yeah. W what makes the big difference is 
showing people how much you want something. And this is often hard because if you admit to the world around you how important something is, how much you want something, how much it means to you, and you don't get it, what does that say about you? Right. And I think we often play things cool. That's not really important. If I don't get this one, I'll get the next one. Or, you know what? I, I mean, I worked really hard on the book, but, you know, it's just a tough market to, you know, to get something out there. We come up with all these excuses because it saves face and it just doesn't hurt as much if we put on this layer of, uh, of um, indifference. And here's the thing. Look, you're, you're, uh, you're, um, you, you're, you've been around hedge funds and venture capitalists and you've seen people trying to raise money for companies, uh, you know, I'm sure hundreds and hundreds of times. Well, if somebody comes into the office and has this idea for a business and it's a good idea, but they're not completely invested in it 150% emotionally, you're not going to invest in that idea. It's the individual is often who you're buying. People don't buy your products and services as much as they buy you. And, and demonstrating to people, being willing to – Rosalind Russell, Rosalind Russell was an actress who said, acting is like uh, standing naked on a stage and turning around very slowly. And I think that life is like that too. But if you are willing to be comfortable with discomfort, then – you will be much more appealing to people and you'll be able to handle bigger and bigger problems. And, you know, to be more successful, no matter what you're doing, you need to be able to handle a lot. This is what one of the things I've discovered over the years is that my business has always been proportionate to the amount of responsibility that I can handle in the various areas that are relevant to the business. Right. And the more responsibility that I can handle, uh, the more I can grow. So I don't just work on uh, learning more about the financial aspects of the business or the marketing side of the business. I don't just work on our sales processes or, you know, uh, uh, our product development. I work on trying to improve so that I can handle more responsibility, which will mean I'll be more comfortable in the high stakes situations. And I, and I address that in the book so that people do get comfortable with discomfort so that they can crush their fears. Right. And I think that goes back to what you said earlier, which is the if you take the time to self-understand, if you take the time to embrace your uniqueness, if you take the time to recognize that you don't need to be perfect, um, you'll be much more willing to be uncomfortable and raise the stakes. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I loved in your book was the story of Adina Menzel. Yeah. Uh, Adina Menzel played Elsa in Frozen, which was, you know, one of the greatest, one of the most successful animated movies ever. The and most tell, successful, yeah. And you tell the story here about, which I love, and I'm actually literally reading it as we speak. You're, you're telling the story here about when she performed at night in front of a million people in live and tens of millions at home, and she blew it on the last note. Uh, and what she said afterwards was unbelievable. Do you remember the, the story? Yeah, of course uh, you do. Of course I do. Yeah, absolutely. So this was at Times Square. It was for the uh, ball drop into that for 2015. And it was about 28 degrees. So it was actually frozen. And anybody who sings knows that it's not easy to sing in cold, let alone a song that requires that much voice. And Indina Menzel, she 
is one of the most respected, hardest working musical singer, musical theater performers in the world, period, bar none. And she just pointed, she got so much criticism after that. The, the, the social media world blew up, blew up about how horrible it was and how, what a hack she is. It was extraordinary to me, extraordinary how angry people were about this. And it's interesting. We like to knock people off, you know, pedestals once, uh, you know, they get successful. That's part of our culture. It's sad, but that's something else. She is able to stay at the top of her game because she pointed people to something she had said a few months prior in an interview. She said, you can't get it right all the time, but you can try your best. And if you've done that, all that's left is to accept your shortcomings and have the courage to try to overcome them. She also said that when she sings in a musical, there are 3.5 million notes on average that she needs to sing over the course of one musical. And if she gets 75% of them right, she feels like she succeeded. And then people blew up at her for that. You know, the guy who drove the truck said, if I, you know, if I crashed 25% of the time, I wouldn't keep my job. I might be in jail. And of course, it's very different. You can't make that comparison. But, but I loved it. And she just said, I'm going to keep performing. Bruno Mars, most people know Bruno Mars. Bruno Mars, he's a right. Grammy winner. Uh, he won Best Pop Album in 2004, I think. And he, you know, he had just come off a tour that grossed $72 million. And he was asked to sing at the Super Bowl. Right. And there was and criticism again. Yeah, yeah, they killed him. He's well, untested. Said, he's untested. No one knows who, not, right? He's not Beyonce. He's right. not, you know, he's not McCarthy. And he, but what he said before he performed was really great. He said, no matter where I perform, it's my job to uplift the people. I'm going to give it all I got. Whatever happens, happens. He actually mentions in that, he goes, wherever I am, a wedding, a bar mitzvah, or Madison Square Garden, or at the Super Bowl, I will go out there to deliver 150%, regardless of what anyone else says. See, that's great. I'll tell you why I love that. And it, it circles back to what you said a few minutes ago about the why. Because it, it feels to me that when you're doing things for yourself, you're can, you're, you're, you spend more time worrying about what people think about you. You spend more time protecting yourself. You spend more time, you know, sort of protecting that fake image that was created for you, this mm -hmm. false impression. Mm -hmm. And when you start to do what you do for others, it almost allows you to find the purpose to say what you said. That's, that's a great line. Like to, for someone to get up and say, Hey, listen, some bar mitzvah with a hundred people is my job is to uplift Super Bowl. My job is to uplift. That means that whether you like me or not, that's not what I'm here for. Yeah. I hope you like me, but like, okay. Like, you know, someone said to me once, they said like, all you got to worry about is that your mom, your wife, and your God like you. Mm -hmm. Like a after that, like it's 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 just gravy. Like you know what I'm saying? Like you come yeah. home at night, they pat you on the back. You don't need that many pats. Your bats your back's not big enough for that many pats. Right. And it's such a great way of seeing the world, which is 
and, and I think it's only going getting worse. I mean, I'd love to get your thought. Like, we live in a world today where, like, you know, you go on vacation or you see a friend on vacation, and like, they can't even like go to, to, down to the amusement park without posting four hundred pictures on their social media. And like, if they only got like twelve likes or forty likes, or we live in a world where like people are like constantly in need of the world to pat them on the back. Mm-hmm. But when you have something you're playing for. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the game, right? You you find that with performers, it's like just sure. get back in the game. I, I don't okay, you like me, you don't like me. Like I just want to get to, I want to sing tomorrow, I want to perform tomorrow, I want to act tomorrow, well, right? One of, yeah, one of my colleagues was invited to be on one of the big network broadcast morning shows for a book that she had just come out, and she called me up a little bit frantic, and it was her first time on a big show like that, and she said, Michael, what should I do? I want to be really good, and I said, Oh no no no, you cannot be good. And there was a big pause. And I said, no, no, I I don't mean you're not good. I said, you can't be good. You can just be helpful. That's all you can do. That's great. And, and if you go into a performance situation trying to be good, it's about you rather than the others. And every performance situation is about the others. It's not about you. That's the difference. The idea of stealing the show for me is about the audience. It's not about you. When you steal the show, You've given the audience and the audience may be one person, as I said, an experience of a lifetime. And one of the things that you touched on was perfectionism. So I say, don't talk yourself out of success, you know, by being a perfectionist, just puncture this perfection myth, because by making your goals unrealistically perfectionist, then you start playing small and you diminish your voice and your presence. And you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. I am not certainly that you don't have to be able to, you just, you just have to deliver on your promise. That's the key. You know, every single interaction that has meaning has a promise in it. And what you say doesn't have to be unique, right? I said earlier, you don't have to be different to make a difference. It's always the way you say it that matters. Well, think about how many of the same lullabies have been sung by mothers to their babies. But the baby doesn't so much care that it's the same song that other mothers are singing to the other babies. What only matters to them is the sound of their mother's voice. It's how that mother expresses her love for the baby. Right. What's, what's great about even what you're saying is because if you even listen to the words of a lullaby, if there's one thing you want, like if you're trying to have your baby feel safe and secure and you sing to them, rock-a-bye baby on a treetop. Yeah. Baby's like, really? You're putting me on a treetop? <laughs> when the wind blows, the cradle will rock. Baby's like, I, that's a bad idea, Ma. When the bow breaks, the cradle will fall and down will come baby. Baby's like, what? You just put the kid on top of the tree and he fell. <laughs> Are you joking? Are you even my mom? You know what I'm saying? Like, like you know, the baby is thinking like, who wrote the lyrics to the, but you're right. No one cares. What they care about is that my mom is saying to me, you know, uh, I, I'm, I love you. And she's saying it through some lyric that she just got from her mom, which she probably never even thought is, you know, is ill-advised to calm down a baby. Um, but it's you're exactly right. You, you, you speak about something in your book I want you to touch on here before I, before the, the I know you're, you're busy running around. I got, you know, I don't know how much time we have left, but you, you, you spoke, you speak about a concept called focus on the persuadables. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at an audience and you, you create a paradigm for the speaker. You know, you've got the people that love you. And that are part of you, um, and 
you there's a there's like almost like a lure to just please them and that you shouldn't do because if you're going to please them you're not playing to your highest potential you got the people that are going to criticize you um and like you said it could be because of what you said just because it could be because people just need to criticize those that are on stage or that are achieving any level of success and then you got that middle group the persuadables talk to me about the persuadables how do you focus on them how do you please them yeah so Sometimes when we're going for approval, we focus on the people that are already on our side of the fence because it's easy. Right. You know, they already share the same worldview. So it's easy. And then there are people who are just, they're not going to ever come over to our side of the fence. There's just all there is to it. It's just not going to happen. And we should just accept that because if we're trying to go for approval and we're trying to please them, then we often leave our values at the door. We change for them. Hmm. But then there's a group in the middle that are more persuadable. Like we call them the persuadables because they're not a hundred percent on your side of the fence yet, but they're open to it. That's the group you want to focus on because you've already got the first group. They're on your team and you've got, you're not going to get that other group. That's, that's just absolutely never going to come onto your side of the fence. But the group in the middle is the one you want to go after. And in order to get the persuadables on your side of the fence, there's a couple things that you need to put into place. There are actually five components. The first is making sure that you have a big idea that they'll resonate with. And the big idea, again, it doesn't have to be different. It just has to be true. True for you and true for them. That's number one. Number two you need to deliver on a promise. You've got to be able to make a promise first and deliver on it. So you got a big idea and that big idea supports the promise that you're making to them. And if you have a big idea and a promise and you're able to demonstrate to them that you know how the world looks to them, you know how the world looks to them, they'll start to open up to your big idea because when you're asking somebody to change the way they see the world or to do something different or to think something different, well, you're asking a lot. And if you don't know those people or that person very well, if they haven't, uh, if you haven't earned their trust significantly, well, they may just discount it because even if they're interested in it, it takes a lot to change. People feel that they may have to over or they may have to throw away 30 years of a perspective that they've been married to for quite so for quite some time. Well, then that, what does that mean? Does that mean that the rest the past 30 years of my life have been, you know, worthless, et cetera. So they might want to make a change. They might want to come to your side of the fence, but, but they need, they, they really, really need to understand that, you know, how the world looks to them. And then number four, you've got to be able to demonstrate the consequences of not adopting this new worldview, not adopting this big idea. Because if you just show them the rewards, they might seem too far off, too far off in the distance. The consequences that are the things that usually come sooner and are more painful and will often drive us to take action. So number one is the big idea. Number two is the promise. Number three is being able to demonstrate that we know how the world looks to them. And number four is articulate, well, first demonstrating and articulating the the consequences of not adopting the big idea and then being able to demonstrate and articulate the rewards 
of adopting this big idea and achieving the promise that is absolutely the the main focus of the entire presentation. Wow. And that's unbelievable because that really, if you just follow that, you can be, you can just change the way you're persuasive. I mean, it's just unbelievable to, for someone just to use it as a metric to follow. Am I hitting these points when I'm trying to persuade? Last, last two questions. I know that um, you're busy and I got two more questions and I'll let you go. One um, is, you know, in life, I found that people get on a horse, they get on a wagon, they start moving in a direction that gives them uh, satisfaction. Maybe they leave a job, they start a career, you know, you left acting, you started speaking and writing. Um, And then in the beginning, it goes well. And they, you know, people like what they have to say, they see that they're different, they're adding a little bit of uniqueness. And usually in someone's, the arc of someone's career, they hit a wall. And Everything sort of like, you know, comes crashing. They thought they had this great career, this great idea, and they're just hitting and hitting this wall. Have you ever hit a wall in your career? And if so, what'd you do to get around it? Hmm. I did. I did hit a wall in my career. I think that most of our business problems are just personal problems in disguise. Mm, I love that. Now, of course, the economy may change and that's a problem for some some industries but the way that you respond to it is based on your personality and the way that you behave you know if you have a very disorganized uh, you know f- financial reporting system in your business well it's probably because you're disorganized or you don't want to pay attention to the financials because they make you uncomfortable or you're just not interested in it well that's the kind of personal problem I'm talking about so we are often need to overcome our own personal problems. And uh, look, I'm Jewish. I grew up around food. Food was a very big deal. And uh, most of the people in my family ate a lot. So I grew up, you know, with the, with the learned behavior and I think also a genetic predisposition to want to eat more. And there's certain people that just, you're never really full. Right, right, right. And, and uh, you know, that's why the, right. you know, the, the rugula at the event that we both spoke at, that was, it was almost impossible to resist. It was ridiculous. Yeah, listen, it's how we were raised, right? Oh just if God. you're full, you eat more. You it, never know. Exactly. So, but here's the thing. It was always fine because I was an athlete and I'd work out and played sports and, it, you know, it was always okay. But then when I got into my 30s, I, I wasn't as active and I started to put on some weight and I had trouble stopping eating so much. And that started to affect my business because I wasn't willing to go out on stage, not looking the way that I wanted to look. Uh, I wasn't feeling good about myself, which of course is not a very good place to be in when you're trying to help others. And as a result, I really, I got stuck for a couple of years. I didn't progress. And when I look at the last 13 years of business, those were the two years, the only two years out of 13 where we did not grow. And in fact, we had a loss in one year and I had to make a major change in the way that I saw myself in order to overcome that. I had to realize that I didn't have the personal control not to eat certain kinds of foods. So I just stopped eating them, period. Because, you know, there's just never enough cookies in the bag. I'm sorry. You know, once I have one, I have to have the whole bag. So I said, okay, no more cookies. That's the way it works. Because moderation wasn't part of my uh, makeup in that particular area. And it changed my life. It changed my life. And it was a recognition uh, of, of who I 
am in that particular area of uh, my persona, my being. And it really made a big difference. And it was a, a willingness to to be open and admit that even if it didn't make me feel good about myself because not, I'm not a, you know, it is not strong and, you know, people don't understand food if they've never had an issue with food. Like, well, just stop eating. What's wrong with you? But it wasn't as easy for me as right. that. So, so that, that really was a, a wall that I hit, but it was, a, it was through personal work that I was able to overcome it. Wow. I, I totally resonate with that. Sometimes it's easier to just not eat at all than to balance eating three and not five or whatever. Yeah. Now, of course I eat, but I just eat things that I'm yeah. not going to, you know, I mean, there's, you know, I'm not going to want to eat six bags of carrots. That's all there is to it. Right. Right. Last question. You know, you wrote five New York Times bestsellers. You've got. A, a- well, actually, not all of them were New York Times bestsellers, but this is my sixth book. And yes, I am a New York Times bestseller, but they weren't all New York Times bestsellers. So you wrote this, you wrote six books, Mm -hmm. um, while balancing your life. Mm -hmm. Um, how is, is there a ritual you follow? Did you, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Always family first period. There's just no question about it. And and when did you find the time to write your book then? Was it on a daily basis? You wrote 10 pages. Did you go away on, uh, to a secluded spot for a day? Yeah. Generally what I do is. I build it into my calendar over a longer period of time. So I do short, um, short, regular writing stints. And then there'll be a period during the book where I'll take about three weeks and I'll do a deep dive so I can see the whole picture really well. But it takes me about eight months overall wow. to write a, to write a book with 70,000 words. And that's, that's after I already, you know, wrote a, an 80 page proposal that outlines the whole book. You know, that, that you write a proposal and as you know, you know, then you sell it to the publisher and then you write the book. So, so yeah, but I, you know, for me is, is just, I try to, I try to give myself less time to do things than one might think is necessary. Right. Because I think the length of time you have to do something is generally the length of time it takes to do something. So if I give myself an hour, I'll take an hour for it. If I give myself 30 minutes, I'll get it done in 30 minutes. Now there's some things of course that you couldn't realistically shortened to 30 minutes. If it was a project that takes nine months, you can't do it in 30 minutes. But of course it's all relative. And I think you get what I'm saying. And uh, then you get very productive and you're good at saying no to things that are, are not in line with your goals and with your objectives. And that uh, over time, I got better at that. I used to just say yes to everything because I wanted to be a nice guy and help out and whatever I could. But then at some point you say no, and then you got to get really good at helping at getting other people to help you with your work period. And, you know, if you, if you think that you're the only one who, you know, who can do it or it's not going to be done well, then you're not going to be an entrepreneur. Right. Right. You're you need other people. Help. You don't exist yeah. without the other people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyone who wants to find that more, go to michaelport.com. Uh, the book's coming out. It's steal the show. Um, you buy it on, I'm guessing on Amazon and everywhere it's being sold. Yeah. Where else can we get your stuff? Well, a great place to go is stealtheshow.com. Okay, and it depends great. on, of course, it depends on when you're listening to this, but it, it, it is possible right now that when you're, you're listening to this and at stealtheshow.com, we're giving away thousands and thousands of dollars worth of bonuses. What most people don't write books, uh, what, don't, don't know is that when you first launch a book, you've got to do a lot to get to kickstart it. Now, if it's really good, then it'll take on a life of its own. But initially, you've got to, you know, if you want to hit the lists and you want to, you know, really make a big splash, you've got to give away the farm. So what we do is we give away our best products and services, $5,000 uh, programs that normally, you know, are only come around once in a year that you can buy. We give them away if you buy, you know, a number of books. So if you go to stealtheshow.com, you can see 
We've got a couple of live events coming up. Again, depending on when you're listening to this, New York, LA, uh, that, you know, you buy 10 books, you get access to events that are normally two, $3,000. So uh, go on over to stealtheshow.com, see what we've got over there. And of course, if you're listening just in Barnes & Noble right now, or you're driving around the corner and seeing Barnes & Noble, just stop there and pick up the book. Awesome. Michael, thank you so much for the time. Thank you for coming on the show. And uh, stealtheshow.com, stealtheshow.com. Guys, check it out. It's it's a great book. You're going to love it. And I look forward to uh, seeing this on the, on the New York Times bestseller. <laughs> thank you. You're such a kind man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. Delving into current events to uncover relevant wisdom. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply.